We have two readings today. Uh, the first reading is taken from Isaiah 43, 1 to 11. You'll find that in the Bibles in front of you on page 723. The other reading is Matthew 1, 18 to 25, and then you'll find that on page 966. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you, I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom. Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, and who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together, all the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold us and proclaimed to us the former things? Let us bring them in their witnesses to prove they were right, and so that others may hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be no one after me. I, I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no saviour. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after, he had considered, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you, will, you, you are to give him up to the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill the, what the Lord had said through the prophecies. prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded, commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you here. Let me just get myself organised. Can I just say for those who are new, who've got young babies, if you need uh, a feeding room, we do have one which is through there. You might see some people go through there and there's closed circuit TV there so you can still hear the service and see what's going on. But let me pray as we start. Father, we do thank you that we can be here today. 
Fathers, we think about this very important topic of God with us. I pray that you'd be speaking personally to each one of us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are halfway through a series thinking about the things that Christians believe and important things. It's called the Christian's God, the Believer's Guide to the Christian Faith. And we've th- thought about the Trinity, we've thought about the God who creates us, the God who makes promises. Today we're thinking about the God who is with us. And I want to start by getting us to think about the whole concept of distance. Now, I've got an engineering brain and I think in terms of space and those kind of things. Uh, I also love colours and emotions, all those sort of things as well. Um, But it's interesting when you think about distance, the way perspective changes as distance changes. And one of the things I love seeing is both how both close and far affects photography. Now I'm going to show you some close-up photos of being very close and uh, these are just incredible creatures. That's a spider's head. Um, It looks more like something out of a Star Wars movie. Um, You've got this one which is a jumping spider and he almost looks kind of you know cute and want to touch him but uh, when you think he's a jumping spider I'm not sure I do. Um, I love this one. It's the eyes of a mosquito. And I marvel at how the cameras can work to get such clarity up close and actually see uh, all the details there. Now, I wonder if you know what this one is. That is a moth head. You won't look at moths the same way again, will you? Now, that's when you get up very close. That's what you see. But it's amazing how distance can impact our vision. Um, And as you start to kind of pan out with your photography and look higher and higher at the world we live in, you go from these, you know, close-up views of small creatures and you realise we are so small compared to the world we live in and there's, if I can say, the uh, sky view and then you look from the astronaut's view, then you look up and you go, man, we are so small and you can just zoom in and see things with such detail, then you zoom out and you go, we are just nothing. And it's amazing how space and distance works on us. And I raise this issue to start with because uh, there's two key things when you think about God. And if I can use the language that theologians use, and it's interesting, I was talking to a girl last night, we were out for dinner, and she's doing religion for her HSC studies, and I asked her what she was up to. She says she's been looking at both transcendent religions and imminent religions. Now, those two words speak of the way we think spatially and distance-wise of God. Now, to be transcendent is to be above. And so there historically has been three great religions that's spoken of a transcendent God who's above us. Now, we're one of them, the Christian faith, also Judaism and Islam. No coincidence, they're the three monotheistic uh, religions that speak of a God who's over us. Now, uh, the imminent religions are the ones that see God in us, close to us. And that's Buddhism, that is Hinduism, that's Taoism. I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. Uh, But when you think about the Christian faith, and I said this to uh, Hannah last night, she said, you know, the Christian faith speaks of God being transcendent. I said, it's also an imminent religion, though technically your books haven't said that. We are actually both. God is transcendent. And we've seen that two weeks ago when Scott spoke. And you just have to look at that picture there. And you see, there is a God who is over this and beyond this, who's created all this. He's immense. And Psalm 8 sums it up so well. Lord, 
Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, and you just look at that picture, uh, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, you can just imagine the psalmist looking up and seeing that view. Uh, he makes this comment, what is mankind, what is humanity that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. And it is the obvious question when you look at that picture and you think, how big and beyond us is God? Well, that's the transcendence of God. But the incredible thing about God is, God is also close. And you read this psalm here, and it's a verse you could see in many places in Scripture, and Psalm 148, 45, verse 18 says this, The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. And so God is not just a God who is above us, and beyond us. He's a God who's near us. Now, it's interesting how space works and distance. Now, I never speak from up here. Now, I know some, probably from the 8 o'clock service, would love me to preach from up here. Um, it's what's historically called the pulpit. And they built the pulpit back in the day to enable you to experience the distance between us and God. And there was a real sense that the preacher was above you, speaking down to you. And the reason they did that was because he was giving you God's word, which was above us, which we needed to sit under. Now, I always think if you speak up here, you're speaking six foot above contradiction. And so I've never wanted to speak from a pulpit. I first began my preaching ministry in a pulpit just like this. I had to wear robes. I almost tripped and headbutted the pulpit as I stepped up to get in it. <laughs> but it's interesting how distance works. And I know if I come and speak down here, the experience is incredibly different. And on occasion, I've come and wandered down here amongst you. And I thought, you know, I could just snuggle up and have a cuddle here with Rob, you know, and, and we give the sermon down here. I notice Scott's done a runner. He just avoids hugs like anything. Anyway, good sermon to be up the back, Scotty. But that's... The reality of distance, whether you're close or far away, it really has an enormous impact. And the thing about God is, God is both above us and beyond us and has created us. But yet at the same time, he's with us. The Lord is near to all who call on him. And I want us to think about the pastoral importance of what this means that God is with us and that he's near. And I want to do that firstly by thinking about the importance of how God was near to his people in the Old Testament and in particular in the book of Exodus. And I've picked that because the reading we had picked out, uh, which is Isaiah 43, um, speaks of the way God is with us and it uses the language of what we call the Exodus. And it's written many years after that event, but it's reflecting on that as it's looking forward. And so I thought, I'm just going to start by getting us to think about the Exodus event, because there's a real, very real sense that this is the beginning of God dwelling with his people. 
Now, that concept is not a new concept in Scripture. One of the most beautiful phrases, I think, in all of Scripture is in Genesis, at the beginning of um, Genesis chapter 2, and it speaks of God creating Adam, and it speaks of the fact that Adam walked with God in the cool of night. Now, how that is possible, that the God who's created Adam and is above Adam, is there walking with Adam, I'm not quite sure if I can say from a phenomenological point of view, but that it was real, was absolutely true. And it's this concept that God is with Adam even though he's above Adam. And you see there from the very beginning of Scripture that God is a God who dwells with us. Now with the Exodus, what takes place is God basically, having tossed Adam and Eve out of the garden, starts again with Abraham... And then with Moses, he begins to save a people built on the background of the promises that were given to Abraham and his forebears. And there's five different ways you see in Exodus that God was with his people. Firstly, he was a God who spoke and he spoke to them. Now, one of the most famous incidences of that is the burning bush. And you've probably heard of the incident. Uh, God speaks in a burning bush to Moses, I'm going to read you what it says, Yahweh, God said to Moses, I am who I am, this is what you're to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And so at the very beginning of God forming his people, he speaks to them. When you get to the end of the book, what you also see is that he's going to guide his people by being with them. And so Moses at the end of um, the book of Exodus is instructed to build a tabernacle, it's a big tent, And basically, God came down and dwelt with them. I'm going to read to you what it says. Uh, The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And the cloud was, if I can say, a physical reality of the spiritual truth that God was with them. And Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And so God presenced himself there in the tabernacle in the middle of the people. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they'd set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all the travels. And that's the end of the book of Exodus. And so what you see is this God who, if I can keep saying, is above us, he's beyond us, but he actually comes and dwells with us. And he dwelt with the people of Israel, and he guided them. And he led them forward into the desert to the promised land. But this God doesn't just guide, he protects. And when you look at the story of the formation of his people, there's incredible stories. I'll just give you one, which is the crossing of the Red Sea, famous in terms of where Moses parts the water. He's got the enemy, if I can say, the the army of Egypt behind him, the strongest army in the world. He's got a sea in front of him, they're dead meat. And God says, tap... The water opens up, they go through and then the water collapses on the army and they are saved. And you hear this beautiful song in Exodus chapter 15 as they basically rejoice and why wouldn't you? I mean, if you've just seen a whole army um, destroyed by God uh, who basically are raging against you and it says, I will sing to the Lord for he's highly exalted, both horse and driver, he's hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defence, he's become my salvation, he is my God. I will praise him, my father's God, I will exalt him. And you see, what he's reflecting on is God was his protector. And not just his, he was the protector for the people of God. But I want you to note this, when God comes close and near, 
I think the appropriate word is, it is an awesome experience. When the people of God met him at Mount Sinai, there was thunder, there was lightning as he spoke and gave the Ten Commandments and the people trembled and they said, you go Moses, this is a bit too scary for us, you go and then tell us what he said. Pharaoh met God in judgment because he would not bow the knee to the living God and thought himself a God and the ten plagues came upon them as a result. And they were plagues of judgment for their refusal to bow the knee and acknowledge that the God of Israel was the God of all creation. And you see, when God comes near, there's an awesome quality to it that should lead us to bow down and worship. When there's been great revivals of the Christian faith, and literally hundreds of people turning to faith, one of the things they talk about is the palpable experience of God with them, and in particular, convicting people of sin so that they turn from their sin. And not just in ones and twos, but in large numbers. Because there's a sense of which the judge of all the earth is here. He's come to save, but he's come to convict. And God is a God who judges the world. And we should be in awe of him. But the last thing to note is, as we think about that, is he's also a God who purifies, he saves. And the book of Exodus is followed by the book of Leviticus, which we looked at last year, and it speaks powerfully of how God enables people who are unclean to come into his presence and be clean before him. And it's through a sacrificial system that we know is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus and his death and resurrection. And he is a God who purifies us so that we can enter into his presence. It's profound. And so with that background, let's hear again this promise in Isaiah 43 that was read for us. But now, this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, He he who formed you, Israel, Do not fear, for I've redeemed you, I've summoned you by name, you are mine, when you pass through the waters. And it's recalling the Red Sea and the parting of it, I'll be with you. In other words, think about what's happened in the past as you go through the troubled times and the trials that are ahead of you. And when you have to pass through the waters, I'm going to be with you. When you pass through the rivers, now that's a reference, I think, to Joshua, when they finally get to the promised land and they have to go through um, the river there. Um, to get into the promised land of Israel, the river Jordan. When you pass through the rivers, they'll not sweep you away. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. And then verse 5, it says this, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east, and I will gather you from the west. And so you can see there those great phrases, beginning in verse 1, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you, I'll be with you. Verse 5, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. And our God is a God, though He is above all, who comes and dwells with us. Now, so far I've only talked really about the Old Testament. What we need to do is think about 
the reality and the coming of our Lord Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Because you see, God is with us today. We're not just talking a history lesson about Israel. And the wonderful news of the gospel is that God has come incredibly close. He's come from, if I can say, the outer reaches of the galaxy to walk amongst us. And the defining feature of the Christian faith is we don't look up to wonder who God might be. We worship a God who's come down and revealed himself to us in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the New Testament story is the story of how God has arrived on planet Earth in the Middle East in the first century to the Jewish people in the form of his son, the Lord Jesus. And the second reading was classically a reading we'd have at Christmas. You don't normally have it at this time of the year. But I had it read because it recounts the reality of what we're talking about. And the key verses there, um, you can see one of them on the screen. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25, recounts the story of Christmas from Joseph's point of view. As he's told that this girl, this virgin that he's engaged to be married to, is going to be uh, pregnant with child, and he thinks, maybe I should divorce her. And the angel comes and says, no. Verse 21, she'll give birth to a son... And you're to give him the name Jesus because he'll save all his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel, which will mean God with us. It's a profound reality that as we gaze and as we read about the Lord Jesus, we read about God entering this world. And I love what John, the Apostle, wrote uh, really towards the very end of the first century as he reflected to the churches about this, not in John's Gospel, but the letters of John. And he begins those letters these ways, that which was from the beginning, in other words, from the beginning of creation, which we've actually heard, which was seen with our own eyes, which we've looked at, which our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it, we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And it really is one of the most profound statements of, if I can say, the entrance of God historically into our existence we've heard him we've seen him we've touched him and we proclaim him to you so that you also can join in this fellowship this sharing with God the God who has come near now as we probably all know that's not the end of the story the end of the story in terms of the nearness of God is that this Lord Jesus when he is resurrected returns to heaven and pours out his Holy Spirit. And in that first sermon that was given on the day of Pentecost, Peter finishes with these words, exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And friends, this is, if I can say, so important for us to just take hold of, not just to believe, but to take hold of in our lives that God is with us in Christ by his Holy Spirit. 
What we are to do is to repent and to believe and accept Christ and receive him into our life and be filled with his spirit because our God, just like in Exodus, is a God who speaks to us by his word through his spirit. He's a God who guides us by his word through his spirit. He's a God who protects us by his Holy Spirit. He's a God who corrects us and convicts us by his word and through his Holy Spirit. And he's a God who purifies us through the work of Christ in our hearts as we read his word of what's been done for us and the Spirit convicts us that we are new people in Christ. Friends, God is with us. Now, what I'd like to do is stop now and just get us to think practically about this reality that God is with us. And I want to say to us um, a couple of things. Firstly, I think this doctrine is so important for us pastorally and personally. And I was thinking about this. If this was not true for me, I don't know how I could keep doing this job. I really don't. If I was not aware, day by day, week by week, that God is with me and that God is with us. Because of the things that we have to face in life. The deaths, the illness, the sickness, the trials, the opposition, the persecution, the struggles. I couldn't do this job if I didn't know God was with me. And the reality of this job is I get to see both the best of life, the worst of life, the toughest parts of life. There's days I leave here rejoicing, there's other days I just think, oh, I just need to go home. It's the reality of life that I see every day, that I have to minister to, that our team works with. And we could not do this if we did not know the God who speaks the God who guides, the God who protects, the God who convicts, the God who is with us. And you see, what keeps me going is seeing how week by week you just see God at work. You see, the experience of knowing God is to walk with him, is to hear him speak to us through his word, is to be guided by him, is to be protected, it's to be convicted and transformed. And I was just thinking in terms of preparing this sermon, all the stories and the different experiences of God with me, God with us. There's lots of things I could tell you, but there's one story which I've known about for a number of years now, which I haven't shared, which I just thought, I think it's a great day to share this story. And I'm sharing it because it illustrates this great reality that God is with us. It's the story of a lady who's been a member of the church here for many, many years. It's the story of a lady who had suffered with a long-term illness with debilitating, extremely debilitating migraines. It's the story of Penny Barry, for those who know Penny. She's a member here at 10 o'clock. And she's been here for many years and served in a variety of capacities. What many people may not have known about Penny is the extent of her migraines that she's had for many, many years. 
She sought numerous, had sought numerous medical specialists to find out about the root problem over the years. And three years ago, literally on this weekend, at the time of me preaching a series where we're going through 1 Corinthians and that section was chapter 11 to 14, it was called the Worshipping Church. I preached on spiritual gifts one week and on prophecy the week after. And at that time, she was seeing one of Australia's leading migraine specialists who'd identified that she was suffering from a familial hereditary migraine condition called chromosome 19. Now, that doesn't mean much to me, but for some it may. Penny recounted to me that she remembers the doctor saying that he could not guarantee that it would ever stop. And what this meant for her was there was no end in sight for the condition she'd suffered with. She'd got to the stage of being completely sick and tired of what she would call living in a fog. She'd been on too many medications. She was too tired. The headaches would knock her around. And I remember at that period, she often couldn't make it to church. And then the painkillers that she takes subsequently would have some help, but then they would also leave her just feeling fuzzy in the head and like she was again living in a fog. And she was at the end of her wits. And she heard me preach on the topic of spiritual gifts and prophecy. And she felt very convicted that day by God to come and seek prayer for healing. And I remember Penny coming at the end of a service and saying, I just feel... I need to ask for God's healing and for you to pray for me. Will you do that? No, Penny, I'm not interested. No, of course I'm <laughs> going to do that. And I can't remember all the details. Penny can, like it was yesterday. And I said to her, would you like any others to join? And she did. She wanted some of the staff in terms of the spiritual elders of the church here to join in that prayer. And so on the following Sunday, on September 20, she recounts to me, and I, I was speaking to her this week, that I'd specifically pray two things. I remember praying for Penny. I don't remember the specifics of it, but Penny can remember it. And I prayed this. I prayed specifically that her headaches would be healed and that the power of the gene causing the migraines would, in fact, be broken. And she went home later that night, and I don't normally talk this way, but this is exactly what she said to me. She had a vision... I won't give you all the details, but it spoke of her being set free. And she woke up the next day and she just believed that's what had happened. And her testimony to this day is she's never since taken medication. She's never had a migraine since and it's now three years on. And she would testify that she's been healed. And I just think those stories we need to share. And I don't say that lightly. Um, I know, and I will, if you ask me for healing, I'll say, look, not every person I pray for gets healed. In fact, I think I said there, Penny, I've not had the best track record. <laughs> Get Max. <laughs> she said, no, I want you, Bruce. You're the senior minister. And it's a remarkable story of how God, by his spirit, was at work to heal her. And I tell you that story because this is our God. He is the one who is above us and beyond us. In a way, we will never understand him completely. There's a mystery to understanding God. 
though he has revealed himself with enormous clarity in his word. And so we absolutely, the things we know about him, we absolutely know with clarity and truth and certainty. But that God is not beyond us. That God is not far away from us. That God has not hidden himself. He's revealed himself in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus, who came amongst us. And that Father and that Son together have poured out their Spirit upon us, who is here with us today. And we worship a living God who is with us. And He's with us corporately, and He's with us individually. Now, let me just say this is so important to know. That just like Adam in the garden, we too walk with a living God. And it begins the moment we hand our life over to the Lord Jesus and say, I am yours. I turn around. I repent. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you. And from that moment on, you walk with a God who speaks to you through his word, who guides you by his Holy Spirit, who protects you by his Holy Spirit, who corrects you by his word and spirit and who will purify you through the wonderful work of the Lord Jesus. And by the spirit of the risen Lord Jesus, he is with us every day. And what I'd like to do to finish is enable us to have a time just to pray quietly. But I was chastened by one of our 8 o'clock members. They're a very godly group at 8 o'clock. And she looked at me and she said, it was a good sermon, Bruce. Why didn't you invite people for healing afterwards? She just said, you are a good preacher. (laughs) But you should have asked people, did they need to respond? And I just want to say this morning, if you're here this morning and you're feeling... For whatever reason, you need God to be at work in your life. Then come forward for prayer. If there's issues you've struggled with that you need the Spirit of God to be at work in, come forward for prayer. If you're facing great struggles ahead and you just know you're going to need God's protection in your life, come forward for prayer. If you don't know God... He's calling you to come forward and give your life to him in prayer. You see, we serve a God who loves us and he sends a son, his son to die for us. His son has risen from the grave. He's gone to heaven and he calls us to come to him because he's with us. And I want to leave you with these words from Philippians. As I call us to pray. And if you feel that God is speaking to you this morning, come forward for prayer about whatever the issue is, be it healing, protection, provision, power, or to receive Christ himself. But let me close with these words from the Apostle Paul. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, let us pray.